Welcome to On the Road to No Place Left. This is Feeney, and I'm driving as we learn to share the gospel, make disciples, and reproduce leaders and churches until there is no place left where the name of Jesus hasn't been heard. In April 2015, there was a huge earthquake in Nepal. Nearly 9,000 people lost their lives. At the time, there were missionaries and local believers there, on the ground, pursuing the multiplication of disciples and churches. How did they respond? This interview was recorded by some friends of mine who gave me permission to pass it on to you. Let's jump in. Well, hello, everybody. It's Mark Aspinwall and Bill Smith and Will Smith. Um, and we're talking again about movements and money. And, and as we go forward, I wanted to talk to Will really about he was in Nepal and they had a big earthquake and they kind of figured out how to respond to that crisis. Why don't you just describe the situation that you found yourself in? Sure. Well, um, April 26, 2015, um, my family was all at home on a, our Saturday afternoon when the earthquake struck. And, and fortunately, we survived it. Uh, a retaining wall fell away from our family instead of toward our family. And so uh, we were very grateful for that. But uh, and then all of a sudden, it was just chaos all, all over the country. And uh, everyone was was concerned about the most basic things in life, you know, just survival of their family and friends. And and so um, and so we really had to, you know, everything stops when that happens. And we had a lot of relationships with with quite a few national partners and we're seeing fruit. We're seeing the gospel spread to districts all across the country and um, churches planted. Uh, but that's just not where your head is when that happens. You know, where your head is, is, you know, how's my family? How are my friends? How's my church? So, you know, we were taking care of our own household uh, those initial days, uh, just trying to make sure everyone was okay. Lots of phone calls back and forth, but it didn't take long uh, before we, there were a lot of discussions about what do we do next? You know, we're all there to help and we're all full of compassion. We, we want to show the love of Jesus. And, um, and so really that was all over the map for our team, you know, for, for certain team members, uh, they're ready to roll up their sleeves and go to work immediately. Uh, for other team members, they knew they knew they needed to step away for at least a few days or, or a few weeks. When you're talking about team members, are you talking about Westerners or? Yeah, I, I would say that even includes. It's not just the Westerners; it includes the Nationals. And I think it had it had to do a lot a lot with stage of life. You know, if people had children, obviously they were thinking about their own kids, their immediate family. Uh, others that didn't have as many family ties, um, and also temperament. You know, that's part of it as well. You know, some people just, they want to go immediately and jump right in the middle of things. And so uh, that was uh, challenging in a way because there's no one answer. You know, there's no right and wrong uh, to that. There's some positive things to, to going early and some things you might want to reconsider uh, in turn. But, but the reality is you'll, you'll, you'll learn that soon enough if you, if you get involved too quickly. But uh, it's one of those things, man, where everyone just kind of has to find their way. And so as a team, that, that can be challenging sometimes, uh, especially depending on the style of leadership that one subscribes to. If um, one's trying to give a across the board answer for everyone, that, that could be, they're, they're going to face a lot of challenges. And, and I would say, really, I was probably guilty of that early in my leadership. You know, I was kind of like, hey, we're, we're, we're a family. And I believe that, uh, you know, we need to really stick close together. And uh, some people were like, yeah, don't hold me back. You know, and, and, you know, and so I learned a lot through that. You know, I think I would lead it differently if I had the exact same situation again, you know, to give that freedom uh, to run hard early 
and let people discover on their own uh, some of the realities of early response. And so how did your team, you and your team end up responding to the earthquake? We, what our organization decided to do was we actually did pull back. We, we, we pulled everyone back, got out of country for a few days to kind of debrief what had happened. And I think ultimately, I think everyone appreciated that to kind of support one another and uh, to, to make sure everyone was okay, you know, and realize that we were survivors. I mean, we weren't, we weren't there just waiting for a disaster in order to be the response. We were residents there. I mean, we, some of us narrowly escaped ourselves. And so, you know, we got to pull away, heal up a little bit, and then we got back. And even then, it was a kind of across the board on, on the kind of responses that people uh, would engage in. But generally speaking, uh, whatever the response was, whatever the capacity someone operated at, it was all done through national partners. You know, they're the ones closest to the ground. They understand uh, the actual need of their, of their countrymen. Uh, and then they also understand some of the challenges to, to trying to help uh, in a country. And that's something that can be really upsetting to someone who wants to help uh, is, is the bureaucracy that you find yourself in uh, at a government level. But then also, um, and, and, you know, no one likes to talk about it. I certainly don't like to say it, but there's, there's also elements in society that are going to take advantage uh, when they see a lot of money. Uh, being moved around. They want to be the middleman. And um, so uh, if you go into it really naive without an insider's view, it's really easy to be taken advantage of. And what was kind of the focus of the response? What were you trying to accomplish? Were you feeding people, rebuilding houses? What were you doing? Well, I mean, those first days, it was food, water, shelter. You know, it was the basic, basic needs, um, you know, so mostly would be exposure concerns. So a lot of a lot of uh, houses did fall to the ground. So there was lots and lots of tarp distributions. There was a really interesting technology that was developed uh, using just 10 sheets and, and, and bending those into uh, they look like many aircraft hangers. I don't know if you've ever seen those in, in, a, in an Air Force base, those kind of half circle Looks like half a pipe sticking out of the ground. We learned to build those with, um, you know, just a few sheets of tin and some and some wire, um, and and that, you know, so we were buying lots of tin, so lots of building materials, um, tarps, but then also, you know, the distribution lines were 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 uh, disturbed as well, uh, just for food items. So we got involved in some rice and lentils and oil and things like that. You know, and so, but mostly, you know, we were we were serving our national partners. Those people, those streams of churches, where we had we we already had a relationship. It's funny, you know, in our mind, you haven't asked this question. I'll just jump to it, Mark. But you know, it's funny in our mind where you know everything we filter through the idea of how how can this somehow be leveraged to you know moving the needle on lostness, seeing new people come into the kingdom. And that's, I had to kind of pull back on that a little bit. I mean, I, I believe in that. That's my heartbeat. That's the whole reason I was there. But at the same time, you have to understand we're there. We're the body of Christ serving the body of Christ. And so, you know, take a deep breath and say, you know, it's okay to help the church for goodness sake. You know, let's, you know, in fact, that's, that's good. That's very good. And that in and of itself is a witness. My, I'll just kind of a confession. My thought was, let's get food and things to the lost to show the love of Christ. But really giving the food and shelter and everything to the body of Christ was, was also a witness to the lost as well. 
So, so just in real practical terms, if I was a Nepali leader of a stream of churches, one of your partners, what would we do together? What would, how would it happen? Yeah, well, um, you know, all the basic stuff, you know, we'd get eyeball to eyeball as soon as we possibly could. You know, we talk over the phone and, um, you know, just encourage everyone to take a deep breath and pray really cry out to the Lord for wisdom because we're all, we're all out of our depth in these situations. We all are. So to take a deep breath um, and that will set kind of the tone, a tone of prayer, a tone of conversation, communicating uh, a tone of, of saying, Hey, you know, we're not going to be able to help everybody. We know this, but we're going to help a few. We are. And, but we're going to do it in a way where it's honoring to the Lord. We're not going to do it you know, in, in uh, arguing and debating, we're going to have continual rhythms of pulling back and having conversation over what we just saw and debriefing it and, um, and coming to agreement on, on what we're going to do together. And, and, you know, cause some of that can be really tense. And so and some of it needs to be behind closed doors. And so I think we were wise to kind of uh, do that first. Um, but then we then we get into the field together. Um, and, and I say get into the field together. I will say not too close, though. I mean, I would get in the field to a point, but um, numerous times I would uh, ask my national friends to go ahead and be the face on this, you know, not not me going side by side. I, we really from the very beginning wanted it to be recognized that it was these national community leaders and church church planners that that were really the ones being the conduit uh, into this and really setting the tone for for the motives, you know, not just what we gave, but why we were doing it. And a lot of that involved conversations where we would we would be proactive and say, listen, you know, in cases where we were kind of getting into the community that weren't necessarily church, you know, just making it clear there, there's no strings attached here. We really can't explain all the reasons why these resources fell on you, but we can tell you one thing, we've prayed a lot about it and they have. So let's thank the Lord together. And so if, if I were one of your national teammates and, you know, I lived in a network of villages, which a bunch of the houses had fallen down, would would it be on me to to call you and say, "Hey, Will, I need ten tons of tin"? Um, <laughs> how would that How would that happen? Right. Well, I think a lot of that's organization specific. You know, they have different um, requirements for releasing funds. Um, in our situation, there was a certain amount that was pretty much very few questions asked. Just 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 kind of go for it. And uh, then there would be some, you know, paperwork you would do after the fact uh, so they could, you know, be good stewards and show that they used it for what it's supposed to be used for. But so, you know, honestly, I feel like giving a, 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 a lot of freedom in a teammate situation, I would just say, hey, just just be aware that that when you do this, you know, that um, there can be a lot of unintended consequences or unintended outcomes from your work. And, um, you know, some people can hear that better than others, you know, and, and there'd be a few people that I would say, hey, I just don't think you're hearing me. man. I don't think you're hearing me. And I'm not, and this isn't me covering my cover myself or anything. I'm just saying, I think you're 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 running into this a, a little hot, you know, a little too quick. 
And uh, can I just suggest that you just kind of pull back, you know, um, spend some time in prayer with your partner. You know, don't get too close to the heat of the action. You know, let them be the face on that. And please understand that everything I'm saying is because I've done the exact opposite. I've been I've, I, I've been the one who, who's rushed in too quickly <laughs> and, and that kind of thing. So, so, yeah, I mean, there is a little bit of approval, but a lot of that would go to, to the actual we had an aid arm of our organization. And, and that would go to them, especially for longer term things when you had larger sums of money being dealt out. So what you, you talked about unintended consequences. What what were you concerned about? There's a few things. Um, one of them would be burnout of the worker. That that, that would be one. Um, they they would just exhaust themselves. Uh, another would be, you know, hitting roadblocks in terms of bureaucracy. You know, they would buy. They would basically buy a lot of goods and put themselves in a position of vulnerability not only to the government, but to other brokers, let's say, unofficial brokers. And, you know, once you're, once you have tons of goods in your, literally in your truck and under your care, you can become a target. So learning to get some of these things in order, you know, like go ahead and figure out where this is going to land before you go ahead and purchase the material, really simple things like that. Uh, get your transportation worked out well ahead of time maybe even get some uh, police approvals uh, at the local district level, just walk right into the police station and say, what's it going to take for us to be able to help? And, you know, what are your requirements? Uh, what can I do to serve you? And, you know, and be willing to share some of the credit there, you know, let, the, let it be recognized that this was done in partnership with the local government and community. And I think another one would be, would be just, well, I think I've kind of said it, just being really taken advantage of. I mean, um, I've had, I've, I've actually lost large sums of not cash money, but goods where it just got stuck in the, in the distribution chain and uh, it wasn't used what it was supposed to be used for. And I think that happened because I wasn't, I wasn't listening. I wasn't really asking for advice. I just thought I knew better. And, uh, you know, in your zeal, that can happen sometimes. You just, you're just so convinced that God's with you. And he is. He's with you. But at the same time, there's, there's realities. And turns out God used that more to teach me a lot of lessons than it was to actually help any people on the day I'm thinking of. Oh, I'm summing up things. I heard, I heard several patterns here. I, I heard the word rhythms. Don't burn out your people. I heard pull back, think about what you want to do, pray, go at it. I heard over and over again, when you're in the midst of something, it is well worthwhile to pull back for an hour, for an evening, think about it, evaluate and move on. I heard him say, in your zeal, you can outrun your friendships or your approvals and you get taken advantage of. I heard him say, trust your local people that are, are part of the body and don't burden them with a lot of paperwork. I heard him say, we're great commission focused, but in a time of need, we are also great commandment focused and hurting people, those without food, housing, shelter, et cetera, deserve and need our attention. I heard him say, don't just focus on the lost, but reasonably look at the needs of the body of Christ, your potential people. And then I heard him say, in most situations, the local face needs to be out front in the delivery and 
in the relationship building because there's all kinds of bad things happen when the foreigner's face is up front. What would be your basic advice? You know, if I'm a worker in Indonesia, say, and there's a tsunami and I don't get washed out to sea, but a bunch of other people do, what would be your advice to me? I think don't get overwhelmed by the scale and feel like you need to be the answer for the totality of what's happening. And that's even, and and some people get that, but what they do is they feel like, well, even their entire network of relationships can be too much. If, especially if you're thinking about third and fourth generation relationships that are not personal to you, but you feel like you want to serve that whole network. I honestly feel like just get out there and start with one, you know, just do one well. And, and I think even in recent days, you know, we've, we've been, these days I'm working in global migration strategy, trying to catalyze movement among hurting people that are within the flow of global migration. And I was down in um, uh, South Texas on the border and, you know, we crossed the border with not a whole lot of a plan, you know, and we crossed the border and we just found someone who wanted to sit and talk you've got a lot of organizations out there that do specialize in, in, in large scale responses. They do, they do that. And I'm not saying that's the reason that we have no involvement in that at all, but I am saying that one thing that they, they're not trained at doing or inclined to do is to sit down and have a conversation with the people involved in the disaster. I wouldn't underestimate the impact of that. And I, I think in terms of practical response, start slow, but also don't, don't separate that from taking some time to, and, and we've been calling it trauma healing has been, a, has been the, the name of the strategy, but it's really just good entry in conversation. To me, that's real helpful that the sort of don't get frozen because you can't help everybody. Just help somebody. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think of the verse, the reference of which I can't think of, which says, do good to all men and especially those of the household of faith, is that if, if we've got to prioritize, we prioritize the people that God has given us. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I, I picked up one other thing that he said, whoever you are, you're not the only player in this regard. And whether it is Nepal or an Indonesian tsunami. There are bigger players with bigger teams and more money and more resources than you. And so to recognize secular, UN, whatever agencies are going to move in with massive amounts of resources, but you have a role if you already have relationships, both with local believers and others. So earlier you said, you know, when we're responding to the crisis, I'm sort of suspending my focus on reach the lost, reach the lost, reach the lost. How did this play out? Did you feel like you had an impact on lostness by responding to the earthquake? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was just a, just a recognition that, you know, um, you know, the, the, the people in these churches, like it actually let this flow, let the, let the conduit of, God's relief and blessing be the church, you know, and, and, and maybe it's just me, but some of my frustrations with church affected my vision for how the church might be used in that situation. I'd come in with a prejudice 
that perhaps the church might not be the conduit that I would want it to be because I hadn't seen it become the conduit with the gospel itself, the message. And so I had this almost this hardwired thought, well, that's not the way to do it because they haven't been generous with all these other things. But doesn't mean you don't give them a chance to do that. And, and, and it doesn't mean I play the role of the Holy Spirit in that situation. The reality is these are the people I had the relationship with and the ability to actually even logistically have that, have that relationship in terms of literally handing money and then having the conversation, the accountability conversation on, okay, how did you spend the money? And can I see the, can I see some documentation for that? And that's just a healthy practice because any one of us is spent in, in, you know, could fall into temptation with money. And so I did that purely out of love. And I would explain that, like, I'm going to hold you accountable to show me how this is used because yeah, that's just the right way to handle, handle money. And so, you know, and allow the, you know, God blesses us to be a blessing. This is Christianity 101, you know, this is what God does. And, and so just allow the church, give the church the opportunity to do that and coach them along the way. You know, just make it conversation and they may not do all the things the, the, the things the way I would do it. It may not be as mission oriented or be connected to a master plan like I'm conditioned to think so many years of having master plans on reading, reaching people groups. But it, it, it's OK. A lot of it does seep through. And I, I answer your question. Yes, it did. And I think in, in the thing is, going back to what I said, it wasn't just the material goods being distributed. It was the way in which there was an effort to do it fairly. There was an effort to do it in community. So one thing I could do would not only be relating to a pastor, but saying, hey, you need to make a team to where all of this doesn't rest entirely on your shoulders, where there's mutual accountability across, across a trusted group of people in your church. So those are the, some of the kind of decision-making bodies that help to facilitate in the church. You can connect with me and other content at ontheroad.link. That's ontheroad.link. This is Feeney, just passing on an interview from some friends. Thanks for listening. The On the Road podcast is to encourage you to share the gospel, make disciples, and reproduce leaders and churches until there is no place left where the name of Jesus hasn't been heard.